Amen? That you have a way of escape. You have a door out. So that was the good news that we talked about last week is we can absolutely overcome temptation. The good news that I want to talk about that's in the gospel this week is that we are forgiven. Amen? That is good news. How many of you know there's people walking around that are full of shame and hurt and, and just walking around with, with heaviness in their heart because they have not yet accepted the fact that they are forgiven? Right? They haven't accepted that yet. But the good news of the gospel is the grandest miracle of the New Testament. Above all other miracles, Jesus did some miracles, y'all. Right? He did some miracles, man. He, he raised a dude from the grave. Right, he shouted his name, and the guy came hopping out in his grave clothes. Right, I mean that's that's how awesome Jesus is. Uh, matter of fact, I don't know if you noticed that, but he called him by name because if he didn't, Jesus is so powerful that the whole the whole hillside would have just emptied out. Right, every grave on that hillside, if he would have just said, "Come forth," everybody on that hillside would have just been hopping right out. Right. Uh, but but that's the, Jesus came up because he was focused on one person at that point in time. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came hopping out. That's a grand miracle. Uh, Jesus healed ears that, that weren't working properly. He healed the blind, right? He healed people who couldn't speak. Uh, he healed people who couldn't walk, right? He healed, there was all kinds of miracles in the New Testament that are amazing. We've had some miracles in this church the last few weeks that have been absolutely amazing. Uh, we, we've had some, some, some people healed in this church, which is incredible, right? I love that stuff, man. I love it. I jump up and down, give God praise for it. I'm so excited. Uh, when I hear it, man, I just can't be still. I, I, hopefully people don't tell me about it when I'm driving because then, you know, it, it gets kind of dangerous, you know. But I'm excited about those, those miracles happening in our midst, in our life. I'm excited about all the miracles in the, old, in the New Testament. Uh, however... The greatest miracle in the New Testament is that we are forgiven. That's the greatest miracle. Forgiveness is a miracle. Amen? Forgiveness is a miracle. And not just forgiveness between God and us, although that is the grandest miracle in the gospel, but it's also a major, major miracle to see forgiveness between person to person. Forgiveness absolutely is a miracle. Forgiveness is also a gift. Amen. It's something that we give freely. It's something that God gave freely to us. Forgiveness, how many of you know, is unearned? You don't earn forgiveness, right? You earn trust, but you don't earn forgiveness. So when somebody breaks your trust, you forgive them, uh, and they have to earn back your trust, but they can't earn back your forgiveness because God set up forgiveness to be a gift. It's something that we freely give. Forgiveness is receiving a blessing when we should have been punished. Amen? How many of you have been forgiven for something that you've done, whether from God or somebody else, and you know you didn't deserve it? Amen? You know you didn't deserve it, but it was a free gift from God to you, and it's something that you couldn't earn, or it was a free gift from somebody else to you, and you knew it was something that you didn't deserve and couldn't earn, and maybe you deserved something else, but instead you received forgiveness. And when you received that gift of forgiveness, how did that feel in the moment? How did it feel when God first forgave you of your sins? When you first said, Lord, I need you in my life. I need, I need forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for forgiving me of all of my sins. How did that feel in that moment? Isn't that an amazing thing? That is what I'm talking about when I say it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Because not only is it a miracle for bodies to be transformed and bodies to be healed and hips to be healed and, and stomachs to be healed and ears to be healed. But it's just as much of a miracle for a heart to be mended. Amen. Amen. And not just a physical heart, but the spiritual heart. For your heart to be mended is it, just as much of a miracle. The good news of the gospel or the good news as the gospel rests on a foundation of forgiveness. It rests on that foundation. So you ask, why in the world am I required to forgive? Why, why in the world uh, is forgiveness such a big deal to Jesus? You know, have, have, have any of you ever prayed that? Like, Lord, why is it such a big deal that I forgive? You know, Lord, why is that such a, such a big issue? It's because it's the foundation of the entire gospel. What Jesus did here in a few weeks is we have Easter coming up. And on Easter Sunday, we're actually going to have a good Friday service this year, too. 
Uh, so we have a Good Friday service at 7 p.m., which we're going to talk about uh, the story of Jesus going to the cross. And, and we have a, a short video that we're going to play, and we have some worship time and some prayer time for you. It should take about an hour. Uh, but on Sunday morning, we're really going to be talking about what Jesus did for us on Easter Sunday, you know, and what he did, the basis and the foundation of that was all on forgiveness. You know, a lot of times if we've been saved for a long time, to hear a salvation message in the moment, you're like, yeah, I've been saved, I've heard that. But can I tell you from time to time, you have to be refreshed in your, in your spirit and refreshed in your mind and refreshed in your heart and remember what it was that Christ did for you. Because if you've been saved so long that you forget what, what Jesus saved you from, then you're probably letting some things come out of your mouth or letting some things come out of your heart that aren't in line with God's heart. But when we remember what we've been saved from, and we remember what Jesus did for us, then how we treat and speak and talk to other people is, is usually totally different than when we don't. Amen? Isn't that amazing? So forgiveness has three perspectives, guys. And we talked about temptation having perspectives last week. But the three perspectives of, of forgiveness are this. You have the forgiver's perspective. The person doing the forgiving or God's perspective as the forgiver. And that's the kingdom perspective. And then you have the one who has been forgiven uh, perspective. And how many of you know the perspective of the one who has been forgiven should be grateful, right? It should be a grateful perspective. We should be so excited for what God did in our life and in our hearts. It should be a, uh, just a constant gratefulness throughout our lives. And if you find yourself losing that gratefulness, it's time to go back to your knees and go back before the Lord, go back to the cross uh, you, you might have seen that when we took communion last week. I was driven to my knees in that moment, you know, and, and I took, I led communion up here from my knees because in that moment I thought, gosh, uh, we can get into a situation where everything is so rote repetitious in religion, where everything is so rote repetitious that we just time in and time out, go in and we just walk through and do the same old thing, same old time, and we never feel anything new. But I want to challenge us through this series of the gospel that we remember what it actually was that Jesus did for you. And you remember your own sins. Now, now most people in this, in this room probably don't know what Jesus delivered you from. You've got your own private, personal stuff, right? You've got your own stuff. But every one of us in this room knows what Jesus delivered us from. And in those moments, we've got to have a heart of gratefulness and, and, and go back and ponder and just think about, God, you brought me so far. Amen. Can anybody give Jesus some praise for how far they brought you in this life? Amen. You brought me so far, Lord. So you have the forgiver's perspective. You have the one who's been forgiven, uh, their perspective. But then you also have the onlooker's perspective. You have people who are watching the process. How many of you know that people watch your life, right? And when you've been forgiven and you've linked yourself to Jesus and you've, you've linked yourself to Christianity and you say, I'm now a follower of Christ, people watch your life. They watch that you were forgiven and they watch how you act since you've been forgiven. So, so you not only have the perspective between you and the forgiver, but you have the perspective of those who are close to your circle and those who are watching the process. How many of you know uh, that you should have people in your circle that need to be forgiven? Amen. You should have people in your circle that need Jesus. You should be evangelizing and reaching people in your circle. You should be uh, not, if, if all you hang out with are Christians, you're doing something wrong. And I'm telling you that today and challenging you. Now listen, if you're, in a, if you're in a period of weakness and you've just recently come to the Lord and you know that you've got to have a time of building up, there's nothing wrong with surrounding yourself with strong Christian people that are going to build you up and lead you up. But at some point, when you've got to get off the milk and onto the meat and you've got to be able to get around people who don't believe like you do so that you can defend the word of God. Amen? So that you can defend the gospel. And not only that, but so they can see Jesus working in your life, amen, because when the number one evangelistic tool that you have is your life. It's not your education, it, it's not your degree, it's, it's not your title, uh, it's, it's, it's not uh, how well you know the Bible, it's not that you memorize the book of James, it's not that you uh, can read through, you can, you can memorize three chapters out of first Corinthians, the number one thing. The number one thing that, that, that preaches the gospel is your life. That's the number one thing that reaches people. Amen. So, so why is it important then as followers of Christ that we walk right? 
that we walk up standing, that we, that we do because we're so grateful for what Jesus did for us that we make the decision and the choice that we know as we, as we serve him and walk an upstanding life that other people are going to come to him because of that. Amen? And I think that's a pretty exciting thing. So this message this morning has two sections, okay? And I've got about 18 pages. No, no, I don't. I, it feels that way. I've got a lot more pages than I normally do, but a lot of it's scripture, and we're going to spend, we're going to read the entire book, uh, book of Luke chapter, or not the entire book of Luke. We're going to read the entire chapter of Luke 15. So if you would go ahead and turn there, we're going to be there in just a moment, and I'll give you a second. So this message has two sections. Like I said, you have, section one is this, God forgives us. And we're so grateful, so thankful that God forgives us. Amen? So, so grateful for that. But section two is this, we forgive others. So God forgives us, we forgive others. That's the, that's the two sections to this. So Jesus taught this often and emphasized not only the importance of forgiveness needed for us, but that we needed to have the faith to forgive each other as well. How many of you know that sometimes the step out in forgiveness of someone in your life takes faith? It takes a moment of faith to step out in forgiveness because a lot of times when we're required to forgive by the scriptures, we don't feel like it. Amen? And just shake your head if you, if you agree with me, right? The times that you're required to forgive, you don't feel like doing it. Right? It, it goes against everything within you. It goes against your flesh. It goes against what you know. It goes against what the world says you're supposed to do when people hurt you. It goes against all of that. But in this moment, uh, forgiveness requires faith. It requires stepping out on a limb and saying, God, I trust you in your scripture. I trust what you have to say. So today I'm choosing to step out in faith and forgive someone who has hurt me. So Jesus explains forgiveness in the kingdom of God with three short parables. They're all found in Luke 15, and we're going to read through them, and I'll read rather quickly. And if you need to catch up with this, let me encourage you, uh, get in this Bible later today or get into it tomorrow morning, reread this book, especially if you're dealing with unforgiveness or you're dealing with an issue. Or maybe you just don't completely feel forgiven by God. Maybe you're new uh, into, into the family and you just don't feel like, maybe you still think, man, I don't know that God could really forgive me for some of the stuff that I've done. Whether you're carrying shame and guilt or whether you're carrying unforgiveness against somebody else, I want to encourage you to spend some time in Luke 15 and really hear the heart of God on forgiveness. So we're going to start reading in verse 1 and it reads like this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Remember when we talked about the three perspectives, right? So which perspective is this? This is the perspective of the people who need to be forgiven, right? The tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So you had uh, the, the, the people who were irreverent, or you had the people who were living sinful lives coming to Jesus and listening to him preach. Can I tell you today that, that Jesus draws all people into him, right? So Jesus draws people into him that need to be forgiven, that need to change, that need their life to be different than what it's been. Jesus draws them into him. So, and when he did, can I tell you, the religious people would stand around and rather listening to the words of Jesus, they were judging who he was preaching to. Right? So the Pharisees had, the, had a hard heart for the people who were coming to listen to the sermon of Jesus. They were judging him, and they said, we can't believe you even broke bread with these people. We can't believe, Jesus, that, that you even, that's why they accused him of being a drunkard, and they accused him of all of this stuff because he spent time with people who were dealing with those issues. He spent time with people who were struggling with those issues. And they said, my, my goodness, if he's spending so much time with them, he must be like them, right? And they judged him in that time. But really, Jesus wasn't trying to be like them. He was trying to make them like Jesus, right? So he was trying to, to encourage them to move in the right direction. And in verse 3, it says this, so Jesus told them a story. How many of you know whenever Jesus uh, begins to correct somebody, he, gets, he tells a story? Right? Whenever somebody in the Bible does or says something stupid, uh, Jesus says, listen, once there was a man. Right? <laughs> he, starts, he starts off a story. He wants to correct your stupidity by telling you a story that you can find yourself in. Right? He wants to correct people, and he always corrected people by telling stories. He was the master storyteller. 
So Jesus, knowing the heart of the Pharisees in this moment, knowing how they felt about the people who were gathered around listening to his, to his teaching, listening to his preaching, knowing that, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to tell this story. And in a moment, he's impacting not only those who need to be forgiven, but he's also impacting those onlookers who are watching people's lives and seeing what they're doing, right? He's impacting both with these stories. The first one is this. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed away. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the heart of the Father. And he's trying to impact those that need to be forgiven, understanding that he's coming to them and eating with them and spending time with them because he's looking for his lost sheep. He's looking for people who, who should be in relationship with him who aren't currently in relationship with him. And what does he say when he finds them? He rejoices. He picked up that lamb. He didn't make the lamb walk back on its own. He picked up that lamb and he put it on his shoulders and he marched that lamb right back into the crowd and said, look who I found today. Amen. I remember there was a time in my life when Jesus came looking for me. And he found me, and he put me up on his shoulders, and he marched in, and he was so excited to have returned me back to the flock. And in that time, I can imagine, in that moment, he called together everybody and said, look who I found today. Look who I found. And because of that, we're so grateful that Jesus found us. Amen? So grateful for that. He said, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And then he moves into verse 8, and he starts with the parable of the lost coin. So he's telling the same story in a different perspective because not everybody there was a, was a farmer or a rancher. Not everybody there worked with animals. So he wanted to cover all perspectives. So next he moves into a lost coin because everybody there can relate to money, right? The Pharisees maybe never went to look for a lost sheep, but they could relate to losing a coin or looking for money, right? So he said, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels even when one sinner repents. Did you know that the angels rejoiced the day that you came to the Lord? The angels rejoiced in the day that you raised your hands and said, God, I, I give you my life today. God, I, I don't try to do it on my own, but I give it to you today. And in that moment, the angels rejoiced because one lost soul returned to the flock. Because one lost person returned to the kingdom. And that's why we, church, must have a heart for the lost. The first portion of our, of, our, of our mission statement here is to reach the lost. And that's first for a reason. Because we can't bring restoration to somebody's life. And we can't bring redemption to somebody unless we first reach them. That people must be reached and brought into the fold. And then when we reach them, we celebrate. Hallelujah. We celebrate. Amen. When, when one lost sinner returns to the church, we celebrate. We, we give God all praise. And we're not only celebrating by ourselves, but the Bible says that the angels are celebrating with us. Amen. That there's a celebration in heaven as well. And then he moves on and illustrates, it says in verse 11, to illustrate his point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even in the pods he was feeding the pigs started to look good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, say, say came to his senses. Amen. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, say, he said to himself. He said, self, 
at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. Man, this, this perfectly illustrates that, uh, in, like my life, I grew up knowing the love of Christ. I grew up knowing how good God was. But there was a moment and a time in my life where I made a decision to walk away from it. And I walked away from God and I began to live my life, about 12 years of my adult life, away from God. And it got so miserable for me that when I finally hit my knees and gave my life back over to him, uh, it was like I was in that pig trough. It was like I was looking at, at pods that were nasty and disgusting and saying, I've got to eat this mess. But you know what I was eating? I was eating the mess of my decisions and the mess of my mistakes and the mess of me walking away from God. And I was looking at all of that stuff, having to consume that. And then, and then I said, self? In my father's house, things are good. In my father's house, I had food to eat, and I didn't have to eat this stuff. In my father's house, my life didn't reflect this mess. My life reflected him. And in that moment, I, I said self, and I came to myself, and I got on my knees, and I repented and came back to him. This is the story of all of us. This is the story of each and every one of us that we have all messed up. We've all done things that are wrong. But at some point in your life, if you haven't yet, you need to come to say, Self, I recognize today that I need to turn over my life to God. I need to reflect him and not the mess of my mistakes, not the messes of my decisions. But I need to reflect Christ. So he came to his senses. Uh, and then he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Uh, pay attention to that. He said, I'm no longer worthy to being called your son. Please take me on as just a hired servant. He came back to his father and he thought, if he would just uh, let me be the doorkeeper at the house, if he would just let me tend to the animals, if he would just let me sweep the floor, if he would just let me stand on the outskirts. I think some people come to faith in Christ going, man, I've done so much junk in my life and I've made so many bad decisions. God, if you would just let me kind of skate into heaven. God, if I just say this prayer and pray, God, would you just let me get into heaven by the skin of my teeth because I've done so much wrong and I've made so many messes. God, just let me kind of skate into heaven. And this is kind of how the young man was feeling. He's like, he's like Father, you don't have to restore me to who I was. God, you, you don't have to do that, but just, just let me kind of skate in. Just give me just scraps. Just, just give me a little bit. So he says, I know I'm not worthy of being called your son, your son, but at least take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. When he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Do you know what that means? He was looking for him. He was looking for him. He didn't catch him by surprise because he was looking for him. He was a long way off, and his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. Un understand this, church. This is Jesus talking. Do you know what that means? This is God's heart. This isn't something... You read in a magazine on the shelf of the store. This isn't chicken, chicken soup for the soul books that you leave in your bathroom. This isn't those things. This isn't a Hallmark Channel story that some writers wrote in a, in a room. This is God. This is God talking. He says he was filled with love and compassion, and he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, quick, go get my son the nicest pair of blue jeans in the house. I'm making it relatable to me. Go, go, go get my son. Go, go get my son those Levi's that cost a bunch of money. Go get those Levi's that are crisp that nobody wore and, and bring them to him. Go get my son uh, the Calvin Klein shirt out of the closet. Go get my son the things that cost a lot. Matter of fact, not only that, but go, go get my son one of my credit cards. 
Go get my son one of my credit cards that he can put in his wallet and he can pay for things with. Go get my son these things. And then he said, uh, go get my son those Jordans that cost uh, $480, right? He said, he said go, go get my son the jeans and the Calvin Klein shirts and the Jordans and go get, go get my son the credit card because guess what? I'm restoring him to full sonship. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm so grateful. Listen, this is God talking, y'all. God said that he was so grateful that his son returned. He was so grateful that not only did he allow him to skate into heaven, not only did he allow him to sweep on the perimeter of the, pro of the property, not only did he allow him to clean up after the animals, but he said, I'm going to restore him to full sonship. I'm going to restore him as my son. And this is God talking that when we return to him, when, when people who are sinners and lost return to him, that he restores you to sonship in the kingdom. And when I say sonship, I'm not just talking about men, right? But I'm talking about men and women. He restores you fully as his child in the kingdom. Amen? Isn't that incredible? That's awesome. His father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. That's, that's what the essence is, that when we give our hearts to Christ, that we were dead in our sins, we were dead in our trespasses, and now we return to life in him. Isn't that incredible? We return to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Amazing grace. He was, he was, woo. Sing it. blind i was lost i was dead in my trespasses and in my sins and then jesus brought me back jesus brought me back that's something we're celebrating amen but how many of you know when when you're getting celebrated there's always somebody who's not celebrating you in this moment he's getting celebrated and it says in verse 28 the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in his father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my buddies. You never gave me anything. Yet when this son of yours, notice he didn't say when my brother returns because he wasn't restoring him because his heart was hard. He said, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, and understand, these are the words of your father, said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. See, this story of the prodigal son is about a rebellious lost son, right? That's what the story's about, right? Well, maybe not in its entirety. It's also, the story of the prodigal son is about a loving father yearning for his son to return. So it's about a rebellious lost son, but it's also just as much about the father. It's just as much about the father, but also it doesn't stop there. And the story of the prodigal son is also about a religious son. So you have a religious son, you have a rebellious son, and you have the heart of the father. And in this moment, we read this story and we can get lost in it. But understand that where we started in this chapter is this. Jesus was teaching and preaching to the worst of sinners and tax collectors. He told this story to those who needed Jesus the most. He told this story to people who needed to change their life the most. And who was watching on when he was telling the story to them? It was the Pharisees, the religious, who were hard in their hearts and did not want to see these people restored to the Father. 
because they had done too much and gone too far and they didn't deserve it. But Jesus is saying to both of them, to both of them, you're both equally wrong. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, a, a conflict going on in this story, right? It's, it's like any good movie. There's a, there's a conflict going on and there's antagonists and protagonists and there's a hero, right? And the hero is Jesus and the protagonists are, are the, the people who are coming to Jesus and wanting to change their life. And then the antagonists are the Pharisees who are sitting back and just folded arms and just watching and saying, you don't deserve Jesus's time. You don't deserve the heart of the father. This story is really about three sons. So there was two sons that we know in the story, but there's a third son telling the story. It's about three sons, the religious son, the rebellious son, and the son of God, right? And each and every one of us in the room can tend to lean religious or rebellious. Every one of us in this place can lean religious or we can lean rebellious. But can I tell you, either way you lean is equally wrong. Where we need to be leaning is into the son of God right we need to be leaning into the son of god so the good news of the gospel message is that no matter how far you've gone or how far you were or are led astray that jesus still seeks for your return jesus still seeks for your return we only need to repent and ask for forgiveness and he does say that's easy peasy y'all didn't say it say that's that's easy peasy (laughs) you tuned out on me that's easy peasy Salvation is not only a free gift, but it's easy to open. I've got a gift wrapped over here that I want to use this morning. And I need Kyle. Would you come help me? I should have saved the other one for you, but I'm going to use maybe a different one. Kyle, open that gift. Don't take your time, just open it. the box out there we go how hard was that for Kyle to open how difficult was it it was super easy wasn't it that's salvation the gift of salvation that God gives to us is super easy to open it's easy peasy it's a free gift and then it's easy to open it's like have you ever bought something at a really nice store and then you've taken it back to have it professionally gift wrapped And when a professional gift wrapper gift wraps something, you can open one little part of that and the gift just slides out. And it's like, and you could close it and it looked like there's still a gift in there, right? It's like the gift wrapping didn't even get disturbed or moved. It was so easy to open. And in this moment, there's, there's there's a gift that God gives us and it's the gift of salvation. And whether we received it years and years and years ago, or whether you're here today and you need to receive it today, I want you to know that it's a free gift to you and it's easy to open. And those of us who received it years ago should celebrate it as much today as we did then, right? We should celebrate what Jesus did for us as much, as much now as we did then. So it's, it's super, where it's supposed to be, super easy to open. And inside is the gospel. Right? So, it's a, so it's a super easy gift, and inside is the gospel. This is the message that each and every one of us need on a daily basis, that we need to pay attention. Thank you so much, Kyle. I'm going to keep this. But then you have packages that are wrapped by the religious. Packages that are, that are wrapped by the Pharisees. Nate, would you come help me? Nate, would you open that present for me? Yeah, don't, don't you pull out a knife. <laughs> so the Pharisees of then, or the religious folks of today, want to make this free gift extremely hard to open. Has anybody ever had a mean uncle? that gave them a gift at Christmas wrapped in duct tape. <laughs> Have any of you ever been that mean uncle? That is, it's so much fun to prank somebody and, and see them try to open their gift and it's wrapped in duct tape and it's so difficult to get open. It's so hard on your fingers. 
And matter of fact, it gets so difficult to open up one of these wrapped packages that after a little while, thank you, bud. After a little while, you can say, forget it. I give up. And thank you so much, Nate. I didn't mean to interrupt your wrapping. You were doing great, man. You're doing way better than I thought you were going to do on that. <laughs> but people could be like, you know, uh, if it's this hard, if it's this difficult, if I've got to do so much work just to get to the gift, then you know what? I'm just going to go back to who I was and where I was. And we just give it up, right? We just, we just put it aside. So for us, when I say today that there's, there's many in here in this room that may tend to lean religious, and I, it's not a condemnation of you. It's just, a, it's just a statement that I want you to be aware of where your heart is. You know, and kind of look at your heart today and say, do I offer salvation to those who are lost as a free gift? You know, do, do, I, do I speak about Jesus' gift as being super easy to open and that you can have it right now? Or do I preach and teach a pharisaical message that uh, you need to go clean yourself up and then come to church? Right? Or maybe, maybe you need to find this. Listen, guys, I don't wear a suit on Sunday mornings. Uh, the only time I wear a suit in, is, is funerals. I stopped even wearing suits to weddings. I don't know what the deal is there, but I just, I struggle. Whenever I put a suit on now, I break out in hives. <laughs> but but I, I don't judge anybody that does wear suits. Like, man, I honor and respect those that wear suits. But I, I dress like this typically on Sunday mornings because I, believe, I really believe this, y'all. I believe in my heart of hearts that if Jesus was walking the earth today, that he would be in jeans, boots, a t-shirt, maybe a button-up. Like, I just believe that. And what makes you think that, Pastor Steve? Because I, I watch, you know, I watched the, the Bible series. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's, a, that's a movie. But... I could just see that, you know, Jesus grew up as a carpenter, he was a carpenter, and then went into, and then went into his ministry, and I don't believe that at that point in time, he went down to where the Pharisees shop and got himself all decked out before he started his ministry. I believe that he came uh, as, as regular people, and he came as regular people so that those people would listen and, and come and be a part, and I want this church, Redemption Point, to be a place where people come, if you're in a suit, you come and feel comfortable, and if you don't own a suit, you come and feel comfortable. And if you're in flip-flops and shorts, you come and feel comfortable. You come and, and you come and, and receive the truth of the gospel. You know, I want you to know that the gospel is easy. Right? The gift of the gospel and salvation is easy. Right? And we do it because he, he makes it easy for us. Amen? So the Pharisees wrap their gift in duct tape. And they wanted people to go get cleaned up and go get situated before they come back. Pharisees say, you put in the work and then you'll get rewarded, right? Christ says, just ask and you'll be rewarded. Just ask me for forgiveness and I'll reward you with salvation. Just ask me and I'll give it to you, right? And then because we're grateful, we put in the work. Amen? Because we're grateful for what God did for us, then we start the process of sanctification, which means the process of growing deeper in Christ and who he wants us to look like and how he wants us to act and be, right? We start that process because he first loved us, because he first gave us a free gift of salvation, and then we start that process of being changed after that. Jesus has never once said, you go clean yourself up and you go change yourself and then come back to me and then I'll offer you salvation. Jesus never said that, right? There was this, uh, there's a story about a, a young lady who came to a new church and she was a, went to college and she was in a small town and, and she went and found a church to go to and she went in and when she came in the back, she sat in the back and made it through the service and on her way out, the pastor was greeting people. It was one of those like they had the front porch and the pastor would stand out there and shake hands as people came out and as she was coming out, the pastor said, oh, I've never seen you here before and she goes, oh, well, thank you, you know, I'm new and just started college and I was looking for a church to attend and he goes, well, listen, in, in this church, we dress up when we come. You know, and she was in jeans and stuff. And, and she said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I didn't know this is how I attend church at home. And I just didn't know. So she left and went to school. But the next week, she came back, and she was wearing the same thing. You know, and she got to the, to the door at the end of service, and, and the pastor leaned in and said, I thought I told you to dress up. And she said, well, I don't have any other clothes. You know, these are the only clothes that I have. And I'm a college student. I can't afford to go buy some dresses. And 
And he goes, well, listen, I want you to go home and pray hard about how God wants you to dress next time you come to church. So she left and, and went and she said, yes, sir, and was really respectful to him and, and left. Well, the next week she came back and, and she walked in and she was dressed the same, you know, and sat in the back. And, and on the way out, the pastor was, was so flustered when he saw her come in that he couldn't hardly preach. You know, he was trying to get a sermon out, but he was so red in the face he couldn't preach. He just could not wait to get to that back door to give this lady a piece of his mind. So he gets to the, to the back door and she walks out and he grabs her hand and pulls her in close and, and says, I thought I told you to ask the Lord what was proper to wear to this church. And she said, I did. I prayed all week and he told me he didn't know because he's never been there. <laughs> you can get so lost and so staunch in outward adornments and outward appearances that you can step over souls who are going to hell, Right? This church will never be that church. This church will never be that church. I want... I want our hearts to lean towards grace for anybody that steps into this building. I want our hearts to lean towards compassion, right? As we read in the story, the heart of the Father was looking for the lost with compassion and with love and intensity and so glad to see him that he didn't care that he stunk. He didn't care how he smelled. He'd been feeding pigs, y'all. And he'd been walking home in, in a messed up old clothes. And he, you know he stunk. You know he didn't smell great. And the father ran to where he was and picked him up and wrapped his arms around him. That's our father, Lord. That's our God. Amen? He does that for us. So forgiveness, however, is a gift that requires something out of us. Right? Sanctification is a process, and we can, we can kind of get into that and talk about that. But the truth is that because we've been forgiven and we've opened this free gift of salvation, then God requires us to forgive others the way he forgave us. So ha have you ever seen anybody that at Christmas time opened up like a, some really, like a gift that had some really good chocolate or really good food, and then they just didn't even open it or share it? They just kind of stuck it under their seat? You know, did you think, what a jerk? <laughs> you know, what, what is wrong with them? Like, I really wanted to try that. You know, that looked really good. Had, have you ever done that? You know, have you ever hid your, hid your really good food so that nobody could get a taste? Well, salvation isn't like that. When we receive the salvation of Christ, the forgiveness of God, then we're required to forgive other people with the same compassion and love that God forgave us. That means that we step out in the faith to forgive, which it looks like we're going to get to next week because uh, it's, it's running a little bit out of time. But when you open up your gift, you have free gifts to hand out. Who wants one? Let's see if I can get to the back. Ready? Listen, watch me, Pastor Kenny. I'm going to try to get to the balcony. Okay. <laughs> I overshot him. Who else? <laughs> Let me get that for you. That was my bad throat. So when we open up the free gift, which is salvation, right? <laughs> the requirement is that we're supposed to share. So when we open up those chocolates on Christmas Day and your family starts licking their lips, right? The requirement is if you open up something that's really good in front of other people that you share, right? And the gospel, guys, is the best gift of all. The gospel is better than the finest chocolate. It's better than the finest food that we could open up and eat. The gospel is the best gift of all. And when we've received forgiveness, then we're required to share with others. So next week, guys, we're going to dig into, and I, I'm closing a little bit early, but I just don't have enough time to get through the other eight pages I've got up here. So we're going to move it to next week. But can I tell you today that forgiveness is such an important foundation of the gospel. It's worth spending a couple of weeks on. It's worth it. So this week, we've really laid the foundation of how God forgives us and how salvation is that free gift. And next week, we're really going to dive in to why we're supposed to forgive each other. We're going to really dive into that. If you've been uh, to our Wednesday night services, and uh, well, it's kind of a small Bible study. We have a small group of people that are coming at the moment on Wednesday nights, but that's because I think none of you knew we did it. Do you? Do you know we have Wednesday night services? I'm just teasing. Uh, but on Wednesday night Bible studies, we've been in a series called Enemies of the Heart. 
And, and one of those weeks we talked about bitterness, right? And what bitterness can do to you. Well, next week we're going to get into that even further and talk about why God wants us to forgive, why forgiveness is something that we're not supposed to just open and, and hoard and hang on to, but that we're supposed to freely give out to other people. Uh, we're going to talk about how it affects you, and we're going to talk about how it affects others, and we're going to talk about how it affects the kingdom. So forgiveness is key. Would you stand with me this morning? in this room today that, man, you, you got here, maybe you came, somebody invited you, maybe they promised you Outback afterwards, you know, or uh, maybe you just went Outback, they promised me McDonald's, you know, whatever, but, uh, you know, they promised you food after service, and so that's why you found yourself here, or, or maybe you just wandered in, you know, maybe you just drove by and saw this building and thought, that's a weirdly weird shaped building, let's see what they do in there, you know, and you came in, but, but however you found yourself here today, if you're recognize in this moment that man I need Jesus like I, I need Jesus and not in the joking way you know that we say with people like oh man you need Jesus you know not, not like that but it's like man I've just come to this point in my life where I'm eating the same stuff that these nasty pigs are eating that I'm, I'm just I'm in this mud and I, I can't smell myself but I know that I must stink and I know that I need to be cleaned up. And I know that I need to get out of the life that I'm currently living. And if that's you in this place, can I encourage you today to make that decision to give your heart to Christ by just shooting your hand up and saying, today I, I, give, I give my heart to you, Lord. Today I, I recognize that I need you. Today is the day of my salvation. Today's the day I'm going to turn around. And if I embarrassed you by saying you stink, it wasn't literal. <laughs> So if you raise your hand like, a, you know, don't, don't touch your, yeah, that wasn't literal. It's, it's metaphorical for your spiritual life, you know, that you need to get it right with Christ. Is there anybody in this room today that would say, right now, Pastor Steve, I need to receive Christ? I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Church, this is what I want you to do. There was someone that came today, and the whole person, the whole purpose purpose that we didn't move on in this sermon was because she needed Christ. The whole purpose that we didn't get on into forgiving other people today is because we needed to take a breath and breathe and say, this person needed to come to Christ. you in my life. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sins, for welcoming me home, for giving me this free gift. And I promise, Lord, that I will treat it well. And the same way you forgive me, I'm going to forgive other people. Thank you, Jesus for dying on a cross so that I could be saved. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for making me part of your family so that I can go to heaven and I could have eternal life. Today, I was lost. Now I'm found. Today, I was blind. Now I see. Today, I found Jesus. In Jesus' name.
Welcome to the family. down in, in, your, in you right now, you were thinking, don't we have to be out of town next week? Listen, I, 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 I messed up and told you what I was going to preach. Now you got to mess up and show up, right, so that we can apply forgiveness to our lives, because not only is it important to our own hearts, it's important to reach other people's hearts, and it's important to the Father's heart. Amen. Let's just lift a hand to the Lord today and go out in prayer. Father, we thank you. Father, I give you praise and glory today, Lord, for what you've done in this place. I thank you, Father, for moving in during worship so so quietly and, and so just just like a like a gentle stream, Lord. And you began to woo our hearts during worship. And Father, you 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 put all of this together, Lord. You put all of us together as a family today to welcome somebody new. Father, I just give you praise and glory that you would leave the ninety-nine to find the one. I give you praise and glory, Lord, that you would leave the other nine coins to go find the tenth coin that was lost. I give you praise, Lord, that you are that father sitting on the porch, looking into the distance and waiting earnestly for your child to return. And then, Lord, when they do, and even if they're struggling and even if they're a mess, you run out and you meet us and you pick us up. You twirl us around and you redress us with the finest clothes. And you give us sonship or daughtership in your kingdom again. Lord, I thank you for that today. Father, be with your people as they leave this house today. I pray, Father, an anointing over the houses that are represented here. Holy Spirit, that you would begin to move in the homes of everyone who is sitting in this room today. That you would begin to usher out anything that's of the darkness and bring in anything that's of the light. Any kind of attack that has been on your people, Lord, we rebuke it and bind it today in Jesus' name. I pray for a peace and a settled spirit for each and every person that leaves here today. I pray for that one, two, maybe five people who are dealing so badly with anxiety this morning, Lord. I come against and bind and rebuke that anxiety in Jesus' name. I speak your peace over them, Father, that when they leave this house, the anxiety must leave. It must go and it must not return. And Lord, we just declare that in the mighty name of Christ. And everybody said, amen. God bless you, family. We'll see you next week.